Welcome to the Saturday Blitz Podcast with your tailgater crew, John Mitchell and Zach Bogalki. Welcome back to the Saturday Blitz Podcast, everybody. I'm Zach Bogalki here once again with John Mitchell. We actually have some football to talk about this week. Week zero action is in the books. We're going to look at Miami, Florida and the Arizona-Hawaii games, as well as looking briefly at the FCS. Before we go into some of this week's games, breaking down our top five picks of the week against the spread, and then we're also in our final segment going to offer you our upset picks and our locks of the week before going into some of the things we're going to be eating and drinking this week. John, it's great to be back talking with you again. How are you doing this week? Man, I'm doing great. Just fired up to talk some real football. No more prognosticating. You know, we can actually talk about the games. It's just, it's a great feeling. Yeah, and it was a couple of great games this first, you know, Saturday to get to talk about as well. I figured let's, you know, kind of go in order and we'll talk about Florida-Miami first. Um, You know, obviously a really close 24-20 game. Uh, We were both kind of expecting that last week um, when we, we previewed this game. And, you know, I think a couple of the big stories that came up for me, first of all, uh, Jaron Williams, he looked good in his first start. You know, it was a respectable enough performance, 19 of 30. He threw for 214 yards. He had a touchdown. He didn't turn over the ball, most importantly. And of course, you know, I think some of the game planning was a bit of baby steps with him. You know, he he, he had a lot of quick reads. Um, you know, getting the ball out before Florida's rough defense could really get to him. And, you know, they still got their shots on him. But, you know, he kept his poise, and I think he played really well. Um, what do you think about his performance in that game? Being his first start, and you saw how much he was just constantly harassed by Florida's defensive front. I mean, he was running for his life. Anything beyond a three-step drop and throw when he was getting sacked – I thought he held up really well. Those numbers are honestly impressive. The fact that, you know, he only had one fumble uh, late in the game, uh, you know, didn't throw any interceptions against a really good Gator secondary, really held his own. You got to, if you're a Miami fan, I think you have to be really encouraged by that because, you know, quarterback's kind of the missing piece. And if he can grow and build on that performance, then Miami really could be, you know, a sleeper team in the ACC this season, maybe a team that could compete um, with even Clemson later in the year. It's just overall, though, there's also a lot of things I think to be discouraged about if you're a fan of Miami from that game, because, yes, it was a close game. Yes, the Hurricanes had plenty of chances to win it, but they really benefited from turnover luck. You know, we talked last week that Miami's only real shot was at the turnover train, you know, came out in force, and it did. You know, they won the turnover battle plus three against Florida, But a lot of that was weird bounces and stuff on fumbles and really bad Felipe Franks mistakes. You're not going to count on that every week. You take those turnover lucks, the turnovers away and even them out, Florida probably wins by two touchdowns, you know. So it doesn't look as good with that. So, I don't know. Miami looked really undisciplined. They had 14 penalties for 118 yards. I mean, I know the glory days of the Hurricanes was all about who cares how many penalties we get, we're still going to kick your ass but this team's not that talented to be able to afford undisciplined play like that to be able to come out. And then on the flip side, if you're a Florida fan, Zach, do you, are you concerned with the kind of mental mistakes that Felipe Franks made in that game, especially that last interception late in the fourth quarter where like Florida was just going to assault the game away. And, you know, you can blame Dan Mullen for calling a pass in that situation, that was a brutal pick. I mean, just thrown directly to a Miami DB and very easily could have cost Florida a game. They really, you know, obviously should have won, easily could have swung it in the other direction. Yeah, I think if you're a Florida fan, you really have to wonder, is this a top 10 team at this point? And I think once the week one polls come out after the Labor Day game, uh, we're really going to start to to see pollsters rethink that preseason pick because Franks, for all the talk about his you know progression through last season under Mullen and really starting to grow through the offseason, he certainly didn't show it in that game at all. Um, you know, he had the two interceptions. He also gave away a fumble. Yes, he went, you know, for 254 yards, you know, his... Completion rate wasn't horrible at 17 of 27, but he, 
you know, even those touchdowns, you know, his receivers were doing a lot of the work on those. I wouldn't, you know, these weren't the, you know, classic 65 yard bombs that we've seen him capable of. So I think it was an off night for him starting the season. Uh, You have to have a little bit of pause as a Florida fan, but in the long run, I, I, again, if they cut down on those mistakes, like you said, this is a good team. So really it's about breaking down whatever is still that roadblock there for them in terms of, you know, keeping the ball safe and doing smart things with it because the defense certainly looked good, you know, for, for the numbers that, that Miami was able to put up, they certainly didn't give their defense enough help. Like Miami could have won that game, you know, if for, as much as we say Florida could have won that game by multiple touchdowns, Miami could have easily capitalized on all of those turnovers and just blown the game out of the water as well. And then we'd be talking about Miami being back and, you know, those 14 penalties being a sign of that swagger being back. So really narratives kind of play on how that final result goes. So yes, Florida got the win. I have a feeling they're going to be in double digits in the polls rather than in that, you know, eight spot that they came in. But in in the long run, Florida's going to be just fine. And honestly, Miami under my, under Manny Diaz is going to be fine as well. I think they showed in this game that they have a quarterback who really can start to develop and who's going to do things the way he's coached to do them rather than freelancing too much or trying to do too much too early. Right. Now you got a couple of gimme games coming up against Bethune Cookman and Central Michigan before conference play starts for him to build on this confidence, get a couple wins under their belt, and then really start taking a run. I think with Felipe Franks, too, to circle back, it's just such a he's such a frustrating quarterback because it's so Jekyll and Hyde with him, right? Like he makes the baffling mistakes like that fourth quarter interception. But then the drive before that, when Florida took the lead for good, he hit that 65 yard bomb right in the basket um, down the field, just a perfect pass to set up his eventual touchdown run himself. I mean, he makes such eye popping plays. He's got all the talent in the world. He's got an incredible arm, but then it just, the mistakes are just so hard. And I do think we should caution you know, not to take too much from a week zero, week one game, whatever. And also, you know, Miami had one of the best defenses in college football last season. They're probably going to continue to have one of the best defenses in college football. Manny Diaz is an excellent defensive coach. They have a ton of talent on that side of the ball. So, you know, it could just be nothing more than he played against a great defense. You know, we might see the Franks that finished last season with the last four games without turning the ball over. We might see him come back in the next few games and see a whole different player. I think it's, I don't think it's fair, I guess, to criticize him too harshly as much as, you know, you want to from that performance, just because he played a really tough defense a week earlier than everyone else, you know, so you lose out. Most teams are playing their final scrimmages and final practices while you're playing a live game against an FBS opponent, you know? So I, I don't know that Florida will fall too much. I, I hate to overreact to week one. I mean, you and me both probably agree anyway, that, polls at this time of the year are stupid and probably shouldn't come out until October or so anyway, because there's just not enough evidence at this point. Oh yeah, definitely. I'm not saying that it's necessarily right that they'll drop, but I totally see Florida in like a 10 or an 11 spot after that game, just because, you know, one, there's going to be the recency bias. When you play a week zero game, you have an entire next weekend of games to be played that pollsters remember more recently than they do the game that you played. And they're going to look at your result and say, Oh yeah, it was 24 20. And they're going to look at the, you know, mistakes that were made, you know, and critique it more than they might a game that's fresher in the memory. And they remember the good times a lot better. So, you know, on that same note, I think, you know, I agree with you in terms of, throwing too much at that first game, whether it's in week zero, week one, whenever it actually falls in this, you know, opening long weekend. Um, But at the same time, I think, you know, these really can launch a season for better or worse. And I think that's really what Hawaii did this week, Um, just to shift gears to the other game. Hawaii got it done. You know, we projected both of us, pulled the trigger and said that they were going to win it. And 
Uh, thank you for coming through, Rainbow Warriors. I had my doubts at moments in that second half there when uh, Cole McDonald started to let things slip and uh, got pulled from the game. And I think it's going to lead to some interesting questions moving forward for Nick Rolovich and the Hawaii staff uh, because Chevon Cordero did really good in that you know, second half in leading a couple of scoring drives that ultimately proved critical in the end. I, I, I don't know that McDonald is out as the starter. He obviously threw for 378 yards and four of those touchdown passes that Hawaii threw were by McDonald's arm. But it's got to give a little bit of nervousness to to the staff that he you know he threw some really ugly interceptions it you know three of the four were definitely all on him and uh you know just throwing late really just kind of like targeting his receivers with his eyes in a way that just telegraphed it for the defense and uh they got to figure out how to cut down on that or Cordero is going to be in Um, I don't know what you think about that performance, but, you know, it was a very hot and cold, you know, look to me. Yeah. um, First off, just really excited to see Hawaii pull that one off. It's nice that we both, you know, projected that. It's nice to look smart in week zero like that, you know, because everyone, you know, we had people on on, on our own side saying we were crazy to think Hawaii had a shot to win that game and they come out and I mean, Early on, it didn't look like Hawaii was just going to win. It looked like they were going to kick Arizona's ass. Like, yeah. they just came out so hot out of the gate, you know. Um, Cole McDonald was on fire out of the gate. And, I, you know, he obviously deserves criticism for the four interceptions, but he was so good early on in that game. You also have to look at that because he was outstanding in that first quarter, in that first half, really, even. And, you know, without those turnovers, you're looking at a game that was probably out of hand by the time we get into the fourth quarter. You know, I'm glad they happened because it made for a really exciting finish. It was a really fun football game, particularly after, you know, Florida-Miami might not have been the most clean football we've seen. Um, but it was a really fun game, you know. And Hawaii, you and I had not just talked about um, last week in the preview. We've been kind of touting the Rainbow Warriors all off season about how they're real Mountain West sleepers. And to feel vindicated from that, them coming out, and knocking off Arizona, providing college football's first upset of the season, you know, coming out there and doing that. Now they've got plenty of opportunities, right? Because they get Oregon State coming in two weeks, and then they go to Washington. So, I mean, I I got to feel, feel at this point they'll be favored against the Beavers, and then obviously, you know, what happens against Washington, we'll see. But even if they're able to just be competitive against the Huskies, you got to think that's really good. Excuse me, elevate their – opportunity to make a run in the group of five race but as your point about mcdonald one of the i guess the things that no one really paid attention to this offseason is that siobhan cordero was really pushing mcdonald this offseason uh for the starting job that was a legit competition people don't want to hear that because mcdonald was so good last season but cordero is the real deal and he really proved that i thought coming in there as a you know a red shirt freshman kid coming in there being inserted in the game with it tied in the fourth quarter and kind of, or late in the third quarter, I guess, and then coming in there and leading a field goal drive and then a touchdown drive that ended up proving to be the game winner, taking care of the football. It's hard not to be impressed with that kid, and I think it's a good problem for all of it. He's got two quarterbacks he knows he can go to war with, and he's you know knows he can win a lot of games with. And I think this Hawaii team is really dangerous, and I'm excited to keep seeing them play. Uh, they're a really fun team to watch, and they re- they earned every bit of that win over Arizona. Yeah, yeah, they definitely. And I, I like that you brought up their schedule coming up. Um, just imagine what's going to happen if they go three and zero against the Pac twelve this year. That would be huge. Obviously, the Washington game. You know, Arizona was a big hurdle. I think Oregon State was the one that everybody kind of looked at as you know they can get that you know, quote unquote statement win. It's not as much of a statement against a team like the Beavers, but, you know, you beat somebody like Khalil Tate, you tackle him at the one yard line and keep him from sending that game to overtime. You've made a statement and, uh, you know, you go even two and one, like you said, against the Pac-12 and, you know, you hold Washington to single digits you got the makings of a of a New Year's six bid right there. 
especially if they continue on that path into the Mountain West race. Right. And on the flip side of that, Zach, if you're looking at Arizona, what a devastating loss for Kevin Sumlin, you know, who's honestly probably already on the hot seat entering year two after last season's disappointment. And they open the season with a loss to, you know, a group of five program. You know, I don't think there's any shame in losing to Hawaii because I think we can both agree that they're a quality football team. But still, to the fan base, that's unacceptable. And it should be unacceptable for a program like Arizona to lose a game like that. The one positive you can take is Khalil Tate showed flashes of 2017 Khalil Tate, right? Yeah. Talking about 361 passing yards, over 100 rushing yards. If he can kind of keep chugging along and Arizona's defense can kind of figure some things out, then maybe they're still going to end up having a decent season. That's a really tough loss for them to open the year, and it's really – it's really interesting to see where they're going to go next. I mean, they get Northern Arizona um, in their home opener in t- two weeks. I mean, that's a, a gimme game. And then Texas Tech come, yeah. comes to Tucson and what could be kind of a decisive game for someone. Because if they start the uh, non-conference slate one and two heading into Pac-12 play, it's really hard to see them doing much of note uh, in their conference schedule after dropping really what should be two winnable out-of-conference games against a group of five program on the road and a Texas tech team that should be in a transition or rebuilding year in their own right. Yeah, exactly. Um, it, it would certainly put a real crimp in any goal of getting to the postseason this year. That's for sure. And I, I think, you know, like you said, the defense is the big part of this. They generated six turnovers in this game. It's not like Arizona's defense completely laid down, but they also had to be on the field for 38 minutes that the, you know the offense has to be able to not only get you know just big plays but they have to be able to sustain some things as well you know get some longer drives actually you know move the chains um because that defense is it, it looked gassed by the end and that's really you know Cordero was able to come in and take advantage of that in some ways um you know, moving moving the Hawaii down the field for those those winning points, and Arizona isn't going to be able to do that week after week. That offense won't be able to keep a team in games if they're giving Pac-12 opponents 35, 36 minutes of possession. It's just not going to work for them. And so, you know, I think that's and and like I said, the offense they had. They had only one drive that lasted more than three minutes. One drive in that entire game against Hawaii. It, 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 you just can't do that. Hawaii was, you know, ch- chugging out five-minute drives that ended in field goals, and Arizona was like all or nothing. It was either three and outs or they were, you know, two-minute scoring drives. And, you know, when you have a team like that and you want to play with that hot tempo – you know, we've seen teams in the past be able to manage it, but you had just you have to flood points on every possession to make it work. That's how, you know, for instance, Oregon made it work when it was, you know, running on all cylinders under Chip Kelly. You know, those Ducks teams were, you know, driving up 60, 70 points on those. You're not going to win if you're only putting up 38 and that's your your M.O., so, you know, Arizona needs to figure that out, and they need to figure that part out quickly. And credit to Hawaii's defense, too. I think that was the big concern for everybody uh, for their team this year was defensively they were really bad last year. And, I mean, it's not like they had a great performance, but they certainly played well enough to win the game and made stops when they had to make stops. Yeah, yeah, they certainly stepped up when they needed to, and I think that was the big part for them. Um you know, on that note, talking about defense as well, uh, just to go to the earlier games quickly, you know, we mentioned the FCS games briefly last week in our preview, and I'd be remiss not to touch on them here because both Villanova and Youngstown State showed remarkable defenses in those, you know, uh, 20 plus point victories against uh, Colgate and Samford, respectively. Both both of those teams looked really good. Um, I think Villanova and Youngstown State can really be contenders in the playoffs this year if they continue to play like they did this week. 
Yeah, no, I completely agree. I, I think we both kind of expected those to be closer games, and yeah. both Villanova and Youngstown State kind of flexed their muscles and, and pulled away for pretty impressive victories to open the season. So it'll be interesting to follow both the rest of the year and see if they can push forward and also see if you know Colgate and Sanford respectively can bounce back after kind of deflating losses uh, in Week 0. Awesome. Well, you know, before we wrap up and go to our break for this segment, um, I just want to talk quickly. Um, we back in the tailgater days used to have uh, our game balls that we used to give out. And uh, we're going to revive that tradition here each week now that we have fresh games on the schedule um, that have actually been played. So we're going to give out an offensive and defensive game ball each week. Who, who do you give them out to for week zero, John? You know, interestingly enough, I got two guys uh, who didn't produce gaudy statistics, but both made big plays to help their team, the same team, win games. So offensively, I went with Siobhan Cordero. You know, he only threw seven passes for 58 yards and a touchdown, but he entered the game as a redshirt freshman in such a big moment. You know, Cole McDonald gets benched after his fourth pick. Arizona drives right down the field, scores a touchdown, and we're a tied game. All the momentum's in Arizona's favor at that point. It looks like the Wildcats are probably going to pull out the win. He calmly produces a field goal drive. Hawaii's defense holds. He comes right back out and leads a touchdown drive that effectively ends the game or wins the game at the end of the day. So for a redshirt freshman against a Power 5 opponent like that, to just show that kind of resolve, take care of the football, make plays, to win a football game, my hat's off to him. I was very impressed with that. I know he doesn't have the statistics that some of the other guys have. That's who I go with. On the other side of the ball, another guy who didn't produce any gaudy statistics himself isn't going to be remembered for a stat line. But how about Manley Williams, the defensive lineman from Hawaii who made the biggest play of the night, right? He made a play that coaches across the country are going to use in film studies for the next decade plus. You know, at the very end, Khalil Tate scrambles. Williams overruns the play. He's a defensive lineman chasing down one of the fastest quarterbacks in college football, hustles 30-plus yards down the field and makes the tackle at the one-yard line to keep Khalil Tate from the end zone and wins the game from Hawaii. That's one of the most impressive plays I've ever seen. Just the absolute hustle for him to go make that play. And that's such a teachable moment for every play, every defensive player, any player in college football is to just never give up because he could have easily given up and thought there's no way I'm catching that kid. He's way too fast. He's going to score. I have no chance. And he runs that play down, saves the game for Hawaii and preserves that 45, 38 win. That's a great pick. What I loved about that play is he, he reminded me of like a hockey defenseman trailing back on somebody who's gotten a breakaway and is really just cutting down the angle. Like he read exactly the angle he needed to get to get Tate before he hit that goal line and read it as close as he possibly could. It was as dramatic as could be. I'm right there with you. Um, In terms of my uh, offensive game balls, I also had someone from Hawaii, big shocker, um, went with Cedric Bird. Hard hard to beat a receiver that puts up 14 receptions, 224 yards, and catches four touchdowns um, from two different quarterbacks, for that matter. You know, making two different quarterbacks look really, really good um, in the process. Um, So, yeah, hats off to Bird. Um, definitely career highs all across the board for him. Um, and I imagine we'll see more of the same moving forward this year from him. Um, so I think he really kind of just threw his hat right into the Bolitnikov race right out of the gate. Um, so yeah, definitely a ball there. And then, you know, I went to the FCS uh, for my uh, defensive game ball. I really just love Jaquan Amos's play uh, for Villanova. Um, Wildcats defensive back had the twenty-five or the twenty-seven-yard interception return for the touchdown um, there that really started to put the game away, and then he also recovered a fumble. Um, you know, just really all-around heads-up play from him, and uh, just one of the leaders of a of a Wildcats defense that just came out strong all the way. So um, he's my representative from a team that, you know, you could give it to anybody on that defense and they'd probably deserve one as well. I love the FCS love. It's it's nice to be able, especially when there's only four games to really 
focus on a player like that who's not going to get the national attention of some of these other guys so i like that pick a lot and it always does seem like hawaii's got a receiver who's good for a 15 catch 300 yard game every once in a while that's going to make a run to blitnikoff like john arsua last year so i mean he definitely seems like that guy again this year uh, and i'm excited to continue watching him play for sure undoubtedly well on that note everybody Um, Hope you had fun with the Week Zero games as much as we did. Um, We're going to be taking a quick break, and when we return, we're going to talk about uh, five big games coming up over our Labor Day weekend to start the season, so stay tuned. Welcome back to the Saturday Blitz podcast after the break, everybody. We're here talking about Week 1 action now. And uh, we picked out uh, five games that we're going to be looking at against the spread, uh, sort of spread out throughout this Labor Day weekend, um, picking one game on Thursday, a trio of game, big games on Saturday, and then looking at some Sunday action as well. We're going to start with the UCLA-Cincinnati game. This was a really fun game last year, obviously, uh, between the Bruins and the Bearcats. Uh, Cincinnati obviously came out on top 26-17 last year at the Rose Bowl, and the Bruins are going to be heading to Nippert Stadium in the back half of this home-and-home series, hoping to gain their revenge at the beginning of Chip Kelly's second season at the helm. Um, What do you think this game really hinges on, John? You know, it's interesting because... I, Cincinnati's only a, a two and a half point favorite, I believe, at the at this point, which feels a little low, right? With it being a game at Cincinnati, with the Bearcats having beaten UCLA at UCLA last season, you know, you know, we talked about this in the Group of Five podcast. I'm really high on Cincinnati this year. I picked I picked them to go um, to the New Year's Six as a representative from the Group of Five. So I certainly don't expect them to lose the season opener against UCLA. I do think UCLA is a better team this year. I think Chip Kelly is going to figure some things out. I think Dorian Thompson Robinson is going to grow. Uh, in his second season under Kelly's tutelage. But, man, that Cincinnati defense was nasty last year. It's a tough environment for UCLA, too. You're talking about traveling through three time zones, as you are, are well accustomed to at this point. You know the jet lag that comes from that at this point, Zach. Yeah. So then you've got you know Desmond Ritter at quarterback, Michael Warren at running back, too. Just a dynamic duo in the backfield. I like the Bearcats a lot. I like them to not only win, I like them to cover. I think uh, around 30 to 23 makes sense to me. I think their defense will make some key stops late, uh, and Warren or Ritter will punch in a touchdown at the end to really kind of seal the deal. Should be a good football game, though. Really excited for that one to kind of kick everything off Thursday night. Yeah, I um, I really do like Ritter to have a better game than he did last time against UCLA you know that that first uh, game last year he threw for only 163 yards I think he's gonna put more on on UCLA this time around he just you know he improved over the course of the season um through you know he completed only 54 percent against the Bruins last year ended the year over 62 percent passing so I think we're gonna see more of the end of the season uh, Ritter than we did the beginning of the season Ritter and I really like Michael Warren to have a huge game against them again he went off for um, I think it was 138 yards or something like that against them last year and I could see at least as many um, if not going over 150 against them um, you you said 30 to 23 I picked them at 31 24 so we were thinking pretty similarly there <laughs> with that Moving on, um, the second game we're looking at is uh, Northwestern at Stanford, one of the earlier games on Saturday. Now, in this one, Stanford is a six-and-a-half-point favorite at home. Um, And I think the big thing that I know I'm going to be watching is what does Hunter Johnson look like and how does he play uh, in comparison to K.J. Costello? That's just a really fun quarterback duel to be watching out there west. Absolutely. I mean, all eyes are on Hunter Johnson, right? He's going into, you know, his first start at Northwestern, the much ballyhooed quarterback that, you know, transferred from Clemson after losing, after seeing Trevor Lawrence throw the ball a few times and seeing how good of a quarterback he was up against, right? So I'm really enamored, like enamored by it. Like, I wonder how good he's going to be, because if Hunter 
if Hunter Johnson is the real deal, then we could see Northwestern have one of the better teams in Pat Fitzgerald's tenure. Like we really could. It, it all depends. It's a hell of an opening test though, having to go to Stanford and play a, a David Shaw coach defense and against a veteran quarterback like KJ Costello. So I think the quarterback battle in this game is kind of the fascinating subplot. You got the veteran in Costello who has already drawn a lot of NFL draft buzz as a potential first round pick next year. Uh, a tree, one of a trio of quarterbacks in the PAC 12 that's generated that kind of um, noise, generated that kind of noise. Right. Yeah. So really fascinated to see him. I think with it being a home game for Stanford, that's really going to give them the edge. So I think it's a six and a half point spread just enough to make me want to pick Stanford by a touchdown. So I got I got Stanford 24-17, uh, close game throughout, defensive slugfest, a couple of coaches who like the games to be low-scoring and ugly, and I like Stanford to come out on top right at the end. You know, I obviously, you know, I mentioned the quarterback duel at the beginning. I think another big story is which one of these teams is going to overcome a big bunch of inexperience. You know, Stanford only has nine starters returning and that includes the quarterback um northwestern returns 11 five on offense six on defense obviously that doesn't include johnson who's finally getting to start um taking over for clayton thorson the one thing that still has me concerned about stanford though is that ground game just didn't look like a stanford ground game last year bryce love you know, was battling injuries. He just never looked like his healthy self, like we've seen him play. And uh, Cameron Scarlett never really stepped up to be that guy. Obviously, Scarlett's going to be coming in as the top back in the backfield this year. But until he proves it, I'm really kind of curious to see what kind of relief that ground game can give Costello. Because if he has to do it all by himself, and that, you know, the passing game has to shoulder the bulk of the load. It's going to be a lot tougher for Stanford than I think people are giving credit this year. So, you know, I like Stanford to win this game at home, but I think Northwestern covers the spread, to be honest. I think it's going to be closer, something like 23-20. It's going to be a field goal that decides this, and it's going to be a defensive battle. I think it's interesting, too, because I think a lot of people are ignoring, too, that Stanford lost a lot of skill position talent. Like, you look at, they lost their three top receivers last year. Replacing J.J. Ortega-Whiteside in particular is going to be really tough. And then the offensive line, usually look at Stanford as producing just a ton of offensive line talent. But they really struggled last year, like you said, to really produce any type of running game Uh Walker Little at right tackle is one of the best offensive linemen in the country, but the other four spots are legit question marks. So it really will be interesting. And I know moving forward to now, Zach, the Saturday game in Jacksonville, one of the more interesting neutral site matchups uh, that I know you'll be paying a lot of close attention to pits Boise state against Florida state and Florida state, a surprising to me, at least five and a half point favorite. What do you make of that spread? I think it's ridiculous. Um, I, I'll just throw that right out there. I, I, I'm not even going to mince words. Bet Boise State, everybody. Please, for your own sake, just bet Boise State. Um, you know, yes, the Broncos are going with a true freshman at quarterback. Uh, Hank Bachmeyer has been selected to be the starter to begin the year for them. Um, but, you know... They've done this game before. This this isn't uh, their first rodeo with this. Um, and I think he's really destined this four-star recruit to be the next great Boise State quarterback in line with Jared Zabransky and Brett Rippon, Kellen Moore. Um, you know, those guys who are just really phenomenal multi-year starters for this team. So while I think experience kind of does favor Florida State in Willie Taggart's second year. This team isn't just kind of treading water as they start to learn life under a new head coach. Um, I think it's really absurd that they're giving Florida uh, such uh, a high a high favorite status. 
um, because five and a half points is a lot. Yes, I know that they're playing a lot closer to home, but if you look at how these two teams have fared relatively over the past year and what each of them does and does not have coming back, I think it's really kind of foolhardy to overlook what Boise State has to offer, especially because they're still the team to beat in the Mountain West until further notice. Right. And look, how many times do we have to learn this lesson? Vegas thinks we're stupid. That's why Florida State's a five-point favorite. They think the betting public is stupid. They're going to see the name value, Florida State, and they're going to put all their money on Florida State. Boise State's going to kick Florida State's ass. Vegas is going to make a lot of money. How many times do we have to learn the lesson? I don't care that the game's in Jacksonville. It's closer to Florida State. We've seen Boise State go to Atlanta and beat Georgia you know, in recent years. Yeah. I know this is a different team, different circumstances, but we've seen this story a thousand times, and no one seems to just be ready for it, you know? I get a true freshman quarterback can be concerning, but Boise State also returns eight starters to a defense that was really good last season. And they're going to be going up against a Florida State offense that was really bad last season. That just doesn't add up to me to Florida State being favored in this game. Not only do I think Boise State covers the spread, I think Boise State wins the game outright. I think you agree with that too, Zach. Um, A lot of weird stuff for Florida State this offseason that feels kind of panicky to me. Like I I read a story the other day about how Willie Taggart isn't giving his players playbooks this year. They're just supposed to kind of memorize everything. That's the kind of stuff you do to try to generate some buzz, I think. And because you're out of other ideas, I'm very concerned. That was a very concerning story to me. Give them playbooks. They're not going to remember all this. Yeah. I, I wouldn't be surprised if Florida state's an abject disaster this year because of stuff like that. I think Boise State wins. Uh, They cover the spread. I mean, not only do they cover the spread, they win this game outright and really take a step towards, you know, the group, take a really head start in the group of five race by slaying a a power five opponent, even if it's a Florida State team, who I'm not sure is going to be as good as everyone's really thinking. Yeah, I completely agree. Bet Florida, or don't bet Florida State unless you want to lose your money. Um, Boise State's going to win this outright. I'm looking at, you know, um, I could even see it going into double digits. Um, Boise State's defense is that good, and their offense is going to be decent enough, even though Florida State does have a lot returning on defense. You know, I think, I you know, I think it's going to be close. I think like 34-31, but, or, you know, somewhere around there, so... All right, now it's time to move on to a game that's, well, it's got some butterflies in my stomach, I'll be honest. Um, we're talking Oregon-Auburn next, and as a duck, um, you know, this is only the second time that the Tigers and Ducks have ever met. Um, last time was also on a neutral site um, in the 2011 BCS Championship game, and so... I'm just going to, you know, throw objectivity to the wind and say that I'm absolutely hoping for a slaughter against the Tigers on Saturday evening in Arlington. And, you know, I think the Ducks at least have an offense this year that can do that against an SEC defense um, between what Justin Herbert brings to the table, um, what they have at receiver, Um, Yes, they lost Dylan Mitchell, but yes, they also brought in Jawan Johnson. Yes, they have a lot of talented youngsters that are coming in, um, freshmen and sophomores who are going to be stepping up into bigger roles. I think Oregon's defense is going to surprise everybody. I think a guy like Kayvon Thibodeau is going to step in and be uh, SEC caliber defensive player right out of the gate. So I think that's going to surprise Auburn in a way that they don't usually expect out of a a Pac-12 opponent. I'm thrilled for this game, honestly. Um, But yes, I also have butterflies. Um, I think, you know, the big thing for Oregon is can can they live up to the hype that's really built up in the preseason? You know, they're picked as a Pac-12 North favorite right there with Washington. They were the highest ranked uh, Pac-12 team in the AP Top 25. Um, 
and the thing is, is, you know, Oregon, since, you know, the turn of the 21st century, they've been decent against SEC teams. They've gone four and two, but both of those losses have happened at neutral sites and uh, they need to get it done, you know, both away from home and away from their opponent's enemy territory, you know, away from enemy territory. They need to show that they can do it on a level playing field where, you know, the emotion of a crowd one way or the other is out of it in a lot of ways, because as much as people do travel for these games, you play a game at a, a neutral site like that. And it's somewhat antiseptic, you know, I think that's something that they really need to show is Oregon has traditionally been a team that really feeds off the crowd one way or the other. And uh, I think that's why part of the reason why they've come out listless in some of these neutral site games that they've played. So that's one thing I'm really going to be watching for right away. Right. I got to say Oregon's trade of you for Jawan Johnson, I think is really going to work out pretty well for the ducks this year. I think that's a quality trade. Yeah. So I I think Penn state was playing the long game with me more than they were (laughs) this year. (laughs) I, this is a fascinating game. Just just because like the implications like Oregon gets if Oregon wins this game they kind of set themselves up as not just a Pac-12 contender but a potential playoff contender Auburn wins this game they announce that hey we're here all the talk about in the SEC has been about Alabama Georgia LSU Florida but we're right here we're just as good as those guys we can compete I think this game is massive for Auburn I really do I think this game decides whether their season goes in one or another direction, I really do. Like, I know you don't want to take too much out of one game, but all the hype all offseason, Gus Malzahn taking back over the offensive play calling, uh, trusting Kenny Dillingham, a 27-year-old, uh, with all, with helping him on the offensive side of the ball, starting a true freshman at quarterback on Saturday in such a big game, and Bo Nix, who, you know, was the best quarterback in the state of Alabama in high school last season, a five-star recruit. Seems to be the real deal. You never know until those lights are on, though, and you actually see him play. So I'm kind of I, – I don't know. I It's such a big game for Auburn because if they lose, then how much flack is Malzahn going to take? All the talk about Auburn really pushing forward and Malzahn being the guy is out the window, Even even losing to a team as good as Oregon, I think. The matchup that I think decides this game is the Oregon offensive line against Auburn's defensive line. That's the matchup I'll be watching all night long. You got a veteran Oregon offensive line with returning all five starters, four of which are seniors, and the fifth guy, Panay Sewell, might be the best overall offensive lineman on the team, right? So a dominant Oregon offensive line that's going to be really good all season long against an Auburn defensive line that is just, you know, Absolute nasty, led by guys like Derek Brown, who's probably going to be a top 10 pick next year. Nick Coe, just a really deep defensive line. So can Oregon's offensive line win up front enough to get some movement in their running game to protect protect Justin Herbert? I mean, what happens there? I Really, this is a coin flip for me. I think both teams are pretty evenly matched. I will obviously be rooting hard for Oregon as you and I both know we'll be on common ground this weekend when that game kicks off uh but I'm gonna go the cheap way out and I'm gonna hedge my bets at this point um because Auburn is a three and a half point favorite I'll take Auburn to win Oregon to cover I've got it um 34-31 Auburn because I'm a wuss fair enough See, I looked at that spread and I thought, okay, that's delicious, honestly, because I think Oregon's going to make themselves heard this weekend. I really do. I think this is an Oregon team that can show shades of those old chip teams that looked like they should be competing for a national championship year over year. And if there had been a playoff, Back in some of those years when he was still coaching the Ducks, Oregon would have played for more than one under chip, that's for sure. So I'm looking at this as like 44-31 Oregon. I don't think they're just going to beat this spread. I think they're going to come out and give a double-digit pacing against the Tigers. Um, 
I might be absolutely crazy about it for picking it that way. It very much a homer pick in some ways, but I'm on the opposite side of the country and I'm still going to be rooting for that. So take it for what you will. You can totally call me out next week if that doesn't happen. But if it does, I'm going to be glowing all week long. From your mouth to God's ears, buddy, I really, really hope that that's what happens. I'd be no one other than you will probably be more pleased at a result like that than me. So, yeah, I'm uh, I'm just going to leave it at that. And I think with that note, I probably shouldn't say more to jinx it. So let's move on to the last game that we're going to be looking at in this segment. Um, Sunday's game, Houston at Oklahoma, I think is another really fun one. Obviously, Oklahoma is a huge favorite, currently 22.5 points over at Bovada. Um, But we've seen what Houston can do in situations before when they play Oklahoma in a season opener. Obviously, three years ago when Tom Herman was in his second year coaching that team after they had gone to the Peach Bowl, um, they made some real waves against Oklahoma that set them up for a potential not just New Year's six berth, but also a college football playoff threat when they, you know, took down the Sooners in the opener when both teams were were highly touted. Um, This time, obviously, Houston is not ranked, but they do have a coach who can really do some things with the offensive talent that they have. I'm really excited to see what Derek King does in Dana Holgerson's offense. And so I think a 22 and a half point spread might be a little heavy. I don't know how you feel about that, John. This is a fascinating game. Like I guess a big spread, but I really wanted to talk about it this week. Just there's so many interesting storylines, right? Dana Holgerson's first game as Houston's head coach, Derek King back from injury, ready to kind of get back to the form he had last season. And then Jalen Hurts, first start at Oklahoma, first start overall since the 2017 National Championship game. Really excited to see him play again in this kind of environment. I don't think 22 and a half is enough. I think Oklahoma is going to really make a statement in week one. I think after week one, we'll be talking about Jalen Hurts as leading the Heisman race after the first week of the season. Because I think he's going to go off. I think he's got a lot of pent-up frustration. He's ready to play. And I don't want to underestimate the fact that Houston's defense was abysmal last season. And that was with a transcendent talent and Ed Oliver playing eight games for them last year. So take Ed Oliver away from that team a team that ranked like 127th in total defense last year. They're going to struggle mightily against the run. I love Oklahoma's potential on the ground with the Jalen Hurts and Trey Sermon and Kennedy Brooks ground attack. And then obviously guys like CeeDee Lamb on the outside. Oklahoma's offense is going to be legit. I'm also fascinated to see Oklahoma's defenses, defense maturation under Alex Grinch at defensive coordinator. He was a really hot name on the coaching market last year, so it's really exciting to see if Oklahoma's defense can take that next step, then the Sooners could potentially exercise those playoff semifinal woes and actually make a run at a national title this year. They have the talent everywhere. I, I think they're going to win. I think they're going to win big. I got Oklahoma 62-38 to 38 over Houston. I don't expect the Cougars to make many defensive stops. I think Oklahoma will make a few that kind of put this game uh, away pretty early. Wow. Um, See, I went the opposite direction with that. And I think a big reason for that is I don't think Oklahoma's defense is mature enough yet, especially with what King might be able to do through the air and Holgerson's offense. Uh, That Oklahoma secondary, they need to take a lot of leaps and bounds because they were the worst pass defense in in the FBS last year. Um, Just... You know, you have a couple of defenses that are going to give up some points. So I think this is just going to become an absolute shootout. I I obviously think Oklahoma is going to win this game. Um, You know, I looked at it earlier and I was inclined to say it was going to be really close. I honestly think Oklahoma is probably going to win it by a couple of touchdowns. But we're, you know, going to see like 62 50, you know, or 63, 49. I think it's going to be a barn burner. And I thought 22 and a half was way too high when I first looked at it. So 
I'm glad we weren't in agreement on this. So this is one that all of you out there can uh, scratch your heads about for yourselves. Um, because you can look at this and flip the coin either way. And it's really just who do you have the most faith in when you're picking a game like this? Because a high spread like that can be very deceiving as well. Um, you know, that Vegas baiting you to take the Houston game is really what that is. I'm inclined to take it because I really like what Houston brings to the table this year. And I really like the potential that they have under Dana Holgerson with who they have on the roster. But at the same time, you can say the exact same thing about Oklahoma and you bring in a transcendent talent like Jalen Hurts you can also make a lot of noise there. So we'll see who's right next week on this one. Um, we're definitely in agreement on some of these games. This ain't one of them, everybody. Right, yeah. I, I, I'm i excited. It's going to be interesting, too, because Jalen Hurts is going to have to adapt to – he doesn't have a defense that's going to always back him up, right? There were some games that Alabama where Hurts really needed Alabama's defense to back him out. At the same time – He's going to be playing a lot of defenses that probably aren't as good as some of the defenses he was going up against the SEC. Houston's especially one of them, right? I mean, he's should be able to – I think they're going to name their points. I think even if it's a shootout, even if Oklahoma's defense doesn't really show up, that Hurts is going to keep going out there and keep padding his resume, right? Because, I, I mean, I think Oklahoma could really name their score. I think they could score 70-plus on Houston this week, and it wouldn't be that big of a surprise. The but, thing, I mean, really excited to see De'Ara King play football again, though. Like, really excited to see him get healthy and play. That's really a big part of this game, too, is he was so dynamic for them. It's so ex- it's so good to see him back on the field. Indeed. The one thing I would caution Hurts about is he's been really great at protecting the football throughout his career. But while Houston has had a really bad defense, what's deceptive about them is they've been great at generating turnovers the past couple years. Um, They've been a top 25 unit in picks each of the past two seasons, and I don't think that's going to change for the Cougars. That's traditionally been their calling card going back over most of the past decade is just being a really ball-hawking unit. And so that's the one thing I really think he needs to watch out for is don't try to do too much too quickly because he's got the talent and all the talent around him, like you said, to to name your score. But if you try to play that way, you know, things can tighten up and you can you can try to force things into windows and Houston knows how to exploit those. That's a really good point. He doesn't have Nick Saban in his ear cautioning, you know, to play it safe all the time. As as a to coin a term that Saban and Tua Tungavaloa have said all off season, you never go broke taking a profit. Yeah, Hertz is going to try to go for broke all year because I mean Lincoln Riley's the type of coach who's going to urge him to push the ball, push the ball. Yeah. So I think that's a really good point as well. It'll be a really interesting game to kind of focus on Sunday night. Definitely. Well, on that note, everybody, we're going to take one last quick break here. And when we return, we're going to offer you our locks of the week, upsets of the week, and we're going to talk about what we're going to be tailgating with. So stay tuned. Welcome back to the last segment of this week's Saturday Blitz podcast, everybody. Thanks for tuning back in after the break. Uh, We're going to be offering up a couple of quick Uh, locks and upset picks against the spread before we get into some things we're going to be tailgating with this week. So first of all, diving in, lock of the week, John. I know there's a lot of really ugly games on this week one schedule. Um, It's just, it's not the prettiest of slates and it can offer some some sort of uh, landmines out there in the landscape. So What's one spread that you looked at and and you thought if anyone is a lock that that might be it? You're right. It's not a great week one. I'm still totally excited about it because we haven't had football in so long. I mean, I'll watch whoever play whoever at this point. Like, let's just let's just you know put some pads on and hit each other. You know. Yeah. Um, I'm not a huge fan. Like I said, a lot of these lines and I don't know. It's none of them really jumped out this week, but the one that. I guess caught my a little bit if I wanted to call it a lock this week is Georgia and Vanderbilt. I got Georgia minus 21 over Vanderbilt. Three touchdowns is a lot, but I think Georgia is going to be really good this year. I think they're going to feel disrespected 
after losing the Sugar Bowl last year against Texas. You know, obviously a lot of people are still picking them in the top five to ten uh, for this year, and most people picking them to play at least for the SEC championship. But all the talk all offseason has been about teams like Alabama, Clemson, Oklahoma with Jalen Hurts, uh, those kind of teams. And Georgia's kind of been a little bit of an afterthought. So I think they're going to come in, even on the road against a Vanderbilt team, and I think they're going to come in pissed off. Um, they have a ton of talent on offense, Jake Fromm, DeAndre Swift, the like. I think they're going to put up some points on a Derek Mason defense. We talked about this in the SEC preview that wasn't very good last year. You know, you really look at a Derek Mason coach team and expect him to produce good defenses. They weren't very good defensively last year. I think that's going to hurt. I think Georgia's defense is going to be really good. Vanderbilt's breaking in a new quarterback, um, obviously, this year with Kyle Shermer gone. And I, I don't think they're going to score a lot. I think Georgia's going to run away with this one in Nashville and, and cover the 21 pretty easily. I'm thinking something along the lines of 42 to 7 probably makes sense for this kind of game. So I feel pretty good about that one. I can totally see that. I think that's a really great pick. Honestly, I chose a lock that's got a lot lower spread. Um, and personally, I really like Memphis minus 5.5 against Ole Miss. Um I think the Tigers at home, they just, you know, coming in as a team that really has a chance in the the American Athletic Conference this year to make waves. Um, You know, when you have Brady White back, you have Patrick Taylor back in the backfield. Um, Great defense. I think this is a team that's just going to take advantage of an Ole Miss group that's coming to Memphis without Jordan Te'amu coming coming without a you know they they lost a lot of talent from last season and for Ole Miss that window really was last year with the group of players that they were playing with so I think they're catching Memphis and this road trip that's you know really to make waves for recruits in that area. They're catching it at the wrong time in their cycle, and it's going to be an ugly one. Like, I see Memphis winning this one by two touchdowns, personally. So, um, you know, I could totally see it being like a a 38-24 sort of game for, for the Tigers. So, I like it a lot. I think that's a good pick. I, I, I really do. I don't expect a lot at Ole Miss this year. You know, Jordan Tiamu's gone. They lost DK Metcalf, AJ Brown, Demarcus Lodge at receiver. They're down a lot of talent. They were really bad defensively last year too. So that's a really good one. I, I like Memphis a lot too. I, I wouldn't be surprised at all. I mean, obviously Memphis is favored for a reason. You don't usually see an SEC team, even in a road game against a group of five opponent as an underdog. And I think that's another one of those vegas spreads where people are going to be like, well, obviously I'm going to take Ole Miss here. So, yeah, I think that's a really good lock. Very good pick. And uh, switching gears a bit, personally, in terms of upsets of the week, I went with a group of five team as well in this one. Big shocker, everybody. I write about the group of five. I really like these picks. Um, but personally, I really like Utah State against Wake Forest. Utah State is plus three and a half against the Demon Deacons. I think the Aggies win this one outright. You know, it is Gary Anderson's first game back in his second tenure with Utah State. But there's just the talent there for the Aggies to be in contention with Boise State for the Mountain, Mountain West Mountain Division. Um, and... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, the Mountain West Mountain and the Mountain West West. So much fun, everybody. It almost That's feels very creative. It, 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 it's damn near legends and leaders, but we won't go there. <laughs> um, but yeah, you know, I just, I really think Jordan Love is going to have a field day against a Wake Forest secondary that ranked 116th in yards given away last year through the air. Um, he's going to throw for at least 300 yards. I could see him putting in four touchdowns. Um, it's going to be a, you know, a runaway victory for the Aggies against Wake Forest. I love it. I love it. I'm going to give you one even more. You're talking about the group of five. How about an FCS over FBS upset this week, Zach? How do you like that? I love it. Let's hear it. Let's go James Madison plus six and a half over West Virginia. Mm. So... How about James Madison going into Morgantown? Look at that spread. That's the the thing. That's 
the big the spread that caught my eye the most this week was West Virginia is less than a touchdown favorite over an FCS opponent at home. Like that's that's Vegas alarms just sounding all over the place. Yeah. Because any casual better is gonna see that and want to immediately back West Virginia. I guarantee you public money is gonna back West Virginia all week. Vegas is betting on that, for mm-hmm. lack of a better term, right? So give me James Madison, maybe even an outright victory. Obviously, we know James Madison is used to punching above their weight. In their last eight games against FBS opponents, they're three and five, which is a really respectable number yeah. for an FCS team. They played NC State to open the season last year, and NC State had a late touchdown to pull away by 11, but they were right there. And that NC State team last year was probably better than this team for West Virginia is going to be this year. Neil Brown is used to being on the other side of these kind of games, right? Um, when he was at Troy kind of being the 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 David slaying the Goliath, he's going to get a taste of his own medicine this weekend. Not only does James Madison cover the spread, James Madison goes to Morgantown and delivers a really sour note for the Neil Brown era in West Virginia, and they upset West Virginia. Wow, I love it. I can totally see that happening too. You know, we were both high on on James Madison when we looked at the FCS in our summer preview series. So yeah, I love that pick. Absolutely. And I don't think it's far-fetched at all, which means that, you know, it's just right for the upset pick. Um, On that note, let's shift gears, stop thinking about spreads for a bit and thinking about... uh, Spreads of food and drink instead. Um, we mentioned last week we started off uh, our our final segment series looking at some things we want to eat and drink with as we tailgate through uh, the college football season. So, so what are some things you're going to be eating and drinking this week as we have a nice long Labor Day weekend of football? Um, currently stocked in the beer fridge. I. You know, last week was all IPA, local brewery stuff. Went more generic this week. Samuel Adams Summer Ale is still out. And I'm, you know, I know it's a, a kind of chain kind of beer kind of thing, but I still like it a lot. It's it's really good for this time of the year. I live on the Gulf Coast, so it's hot as hell every single day. So finding a nice, you know, weedy summer beer is really nice this time of the year. It's 100 degrees outside. I mean, that's the way to go. That's what I'm drinking this week. In terms of eating this weekend, you know, I really haven't gone too far into it, to be honest. A lot of little things probably might break the grill out. Might throw on some, like, jalapeno poppers or something this weekend. Probably feel pretty good. I usually like to kind of tailor it towards Alabama's opponent, to be honest. But I don't think you can buy blue devil this time of the year so i don't know for sure <laughs> so yeah, I think maybe something with some spice like jalapeno poppers i think will probably be hitting nice that's great well for me honestly i don't obviously i have some friends that don't follow college football because one of my dear friends from way back from my time in oregon uh has decided to get married this weekend what yeah um so really painful for week one i'm actually flying out of state college on friday and i will be there until monday uh when i fly back so i will be able to catch thursday night games and i'll be able to catch monday night's game between Notre dame and louisville um and other than that i'm going to be sneaking as many peaks as i can probably taking uh copious advantage of uh live apps uh to watch some of these games or at least follow along as much as i can and uh sweating out a lot of results but in terms of uh eating and drinking the good thing about a wedding and especially a wedding that of the type that i'm going to is there's going to be a lot of really good food and drink so i'm going to be drinking whatever is free and plentiful and delicious. Um, I'm not really a a beggar when, um, or a chooser when I'm taking advantage of a situation like that. And I know they have a lot of amazing meals planned for both that Saturday and Sunday that I'm there, as well as a Monday brunch. So get fueled up throughout the, uh, 
throughout the weekend. And uh, while it won't be tailgater food necessarily, it'll at least be something to uh, get the stomach in line for the weeks to come as we start to gorge more regularly. Yeah, free is good. Free is in my price range. So I understand that. As a grad student, I definitely appreciate things like that, especially since I'm flying myself to Minnesota for this one. So, Yeah, I hope you can still catch some Oregon-Auburn. Like, I know that's going to be just terrible. That's the one I'm sweating most, obviously. <laughs> um, I, I was a little less worried about leaving State College for the Penn State-Idaho game, that's for sure. Sure. I'll text you fake updates. Don't worry. Perfect. Awesome. Definitely appreciate it. And all of you out there can, you know, tag me on Twitter and uh, harass me about that as well. Uh, Maybe we can all have fun with it on Saturday. Absolutely. Stop fall weddings. That's just, it's not a thing. Be considerate to your college football fan friends. On that note, um, thanks again for tuning in, everybody. It's been a pleasure getting to talk with you all again this week. Thanks for catching up, John. Always a pleasure. And uh, we'll be back again next Wednesday to talk more week one action and get you caught up and ready for week two. Thanks for tuning in.